This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm speaking to you today at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and I'm talking to Jimmy Kimmel, America's foremost healthcare expert. Welcome, Jimmy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, if we hear rumbling, it doesn't mean we're being attacked. There's there's trains running on, underneath us. Oh, is that what's happening? Yeah, we are above a transit hub. You know, as far as I can tell, based on my conversations with people here in Brooklyn, the trains aren't running that frequently, so I think we should be happy that the trains are running. It's better to be above the train than in the train. People seem very frustrated by the subway. Yeah, it's our version of traffic complaints. But it seems to be much more prevalent than it was the last couple of times we were here doing the show. Is that the case? It got way worse. What happened? I guess there's more people. You and think also, that's it? it kind of, there, there's not a good excuse for it. Part of the problem, if you want to get deep into it, I is, do. That, I'm is that the, the subway is funded by the state. Yes. The state is not very excited about helping New York City improve their subway. Why? Because the mayor and the governor... The mayor and governor don't get along, and also if you're in Rochester or Buffalo, you're not really interested in helping Peter Kafka get to work. Maybe I'll make this my next uh, emotional stand. You, you could do five. You've got five <laughs> shows in Brooklyn. Five or four? Five. Five. Welcome back to Brooklyn. Thank you. Uh, you were here two years ago, right? Yes. The world's different now. You were trying to have... Donald Trump was going to be a guest, not yeah, president. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot about and that. he bailed yeah. on you. Yeah, he did bail on us. Yeah. You showed him. Yeah. Well, he obviously made the right decision. <laughs> Who knows? If he'd kept that booking, maybe we would have a different president right now. Boy, that'd be a fun time travel. I mentioned the, the healthcare stuff. That's two, three weeks ago now? Yes. No, healthcare? Longer, yeah, longer than that. Some I period, think. about around a month. How has your life changed since you became a healthcare expert? Well, um, a lot more people say mean things to me on the internet. Other than that, not to your face. Pretty much the same. No, never to my face. It's never happened to my face. Do people have a different expectation out of the show now? I don't know if they do. I don't think it necessarily matters if they do. I think that. I still have to do what I always do, which is talk about what's happening in the news and talk about what's happening in my life and just go from that standpoint. And if things happen that like what happened with my son and what happened in Las Vegas, then and I feel compelled to speak about them. I will, but I don't feel like I need to weigh in on, on every issue. Bob Iger was quoted in Times last week saying you should – it was okay that you talked about health care. It was okay that you talked about the shooting, but you should – I think the word was you should be careful. Yeah, well, I think – I mean, maybe I'm translating this conveniently, but I think he's right in that if you speak about this – if you go too far, if you talk about it too much, then it's not interesting. Then it's not – it doesn't have an impact. Did he reach out to you one way or the other during the healthcare stuff or during the uh, before or after the shooting monologue? Yes, he did, but only to tell me that I should know that I have the full support of the company when it comes to raising money for a children's hospital in Los Angeles and that they were going to make a big donation and help me. So nothing about the content, no, be careful. He figures you know what you're doing. No attempts to dissuade me from talking about any of this stuff ever. So there's this narrative that post-Trump that Jimmy Fallon has struggled because he doesn't do a political show, that it's been great for Colbert, and, and up until recently, no one sort of described you as having a political edge, and then since then, there's been a bunch of great articles about how this is your moment. Do you think, like, oh, maybe I should really take advantage of this and, and lean into this a little bit more and do more political stuff? I got this reaction. No, I think my place is always going to be in the middle. It's, I think that I can't go too far with this stuff it, because if I do, it won't have any effect. And what I want more than anything is I want to advance 
this issue. You know, I, I want people to have coverage. I think I opened some people's eyes when I spoke about healthcare and how it works. And I think maybe some people acted on it. And I think they contacted their represent their senators in, in this particular case. And I think that whether it had an effect or not, I don't know. I never want to take it away from Susan Collins or, you know, Lisa Murkowski or John McCain. I think they ultimately made their own decisions, but it didn't hurt. I was looking uh, this weekend, I was look, looking at those clips again, I was looking on YouTube, and maybe I'm looking at the wrong uh, audience counter, but it seems like those videos, as big a deal as they were, as big a deal as those monologues were, weren't giant internet hits for you. Did you, like, you've gotten more out of a viral video from Scochi or any other random No, they were. they were. I think okay. that they were. They, you know, there's Facebook and also many news outlets took that of course that monologue and they replayed it so uh, i think that and i don't know what the what the numbers are but i mean i feel like i can just tell based on reaction i get from people on the street that you know like everyone seems to know about it when you're thinking about do i want to do something political on the show are you concerned that if you lean one way you're going to turn off half the audience or is it more of your audience doesn't want to do politics when they turn on the show that that's not what they come to you for i don't really think about it that much i you know i i know that it does turn some people off but it's just too important to ignore so i assume you've had a day full of these politics questions are people asking about espn as well um not as much about espn yeah do do you have any advice for jamel hill i think jamel hill seems to be i think she's doing what feels right for her and uh i think that I admire that. You know, I think she knows that. Sure, she's well aware that this is potentially uh, troublesome for her from a career standpoint, and she's standing up for what she believes. I think it's also you could argue it's good for her, right? It's it's giving her more notoriety. It's I mean, whether or not this works for her at ESPN, it seems like she's someone who could now go somewhere else. Yeah, we'll see. You know, I think that you could maybe make a similar argument for Colin Kaepernick. You know, but. You see what happens, you know. Some of these big companies, they're, they don't want to touch you, you know. It would be ironic if Fox is the company that that swoops in, wouldn't it? <laughs> and, yeah, maybe not Fox. Yeah, well, but maybe. Who knows? Weinstein? Immediately when that when that story first broke, the first couple of days, there was a lot of questioning why various entertainment outlets weren't spending a lot of time on it. SNL d- didn't touch it for a week. Have you guys talked internally about how you want to handle that story? Well, there were a few reasons. I mean, first of all, that story came out on like late Thursday afternoon, or at least I didn't see it till late Thursday. The first afternoon. New York Times story. Yeah, we do our show on Thursday at five p.m., and then we don't have a show on Friday. So, secondly, I wasn't convinced. Now that now that the story's out, of course, everybody knows who Harvey Weinstein is. That more than ten percent of America knew who Harvey Weinstein is. So, you know, and thirdly, this is kind of a, this is not a necessarily a funny thing you know it's like you're talking about something that's pretty serious even with bill cosby you have to be really careful about how you make jokes about it it's you know it's not a light subject to be turned immediately into fodder people have gone back and said oh here's seth mcfarlane making a weinstein joke here's 30 rock have you guys gone back and said did we make those kind of jokes? we definitely we never made it i mean like i don't know harvey weinstein isn't somebody that I would think our audience knew well enough to use as a reference. Because there was a quote from Lauren Michaels last week saying this is a New York thing. I think people were confused about what that I meant. I think at that time he was probably 
right. I mean, I think at that time, most of the people who knew who Harvey Weinstein was is were in New York and L.A. Someone sent me a clip that was on, I don't know what the site was. It said, Jimmy Kimmel has done something inappropriate with women, and here's tape, and it was from The Man Show. Yeah. I thought, well, that's the entirety of The Man Show was, was doing. Yeah, I know. It was it's inappropriate so things with women. And not only that, there's nothing inappropriate about a comedy bit with women who signed a release and eagerly participated. Felt, felt you up on camera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Have, you gotten, have you gotten more of that grief, or is that the only one? They seem to be, you know, I mean, listen, if they go through the man show, I'm sure they, they'll find plenty of stuff, but I don't see how one relates to the other. And, so and that, But that one's on your radar. You've, you've seen that. Oh, yes, of course. Around. Of course. I was baffled by it. Yes. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, but, you know, that's how it goes. It's like there, it, reason doesn't matter. Context doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. What matters is attacking your enemy and, and just trying to put a pin in somebody's balloon. Well, uh, last time I talked to you, I think it was a couple years ago uh, in Austin, but that's something I always ask you, which is how much longer is the late-night television show going to be relevant? It seems like it's incredibly relevant right now because of Trump. Do you think that sustains or this is a, sort of a blip? No, I, I think that late-night television has been around for a long time, and you know, it is whether more people are watching it on television or not, which they aren't, more people are watching it than ever before, and that includes the – heyday of Johnny Carson. I mean, I think we just reached our 10 millionth subscriber on YouTube. So we have many, many, many millions of people, not just in the United States, but around the world watching clips from these shows every day. I've asked you before, like, how much do you think about the internet when you're creating a show and your standard answer? And I think most of the hosts, at least a few years ago, said the same thing, which is, we're trying to make a great TV show. If something comes out of it that's interesting on the web, great. It seems like many more of them are being much more practical about saying, all right, this is something we're making for the internet, or we're going to, I think Seth Meyers will put up part of his monologue before it even airs at this point. Are you guys more, are you thinking more sort of tactically alert, this is going to go on the internet, this is a Facebook video, this is a YouTube video? In fact, when the the financial compensation for putting things on the internet compares to putting things on television becomes, it's very lopsided. I mean, we have... 10 times as many people watching on the internet as we do on television, and we make 10 times as much money on television than we do from the internet. Right, so as long as that math is, is in place, exactly. you're not going to change then it. if, you know, if the, the focus is, I mean, really, we're in the business of, of making money. You know, that's why we're doing these television shows. What? And I think if you're focused on on making your YouTube video popular, your focus is is in the wrong place. Again, going through our old interview, when you're talking about, I think people are going to move away from Twitter and Facebook, or leave from Twitter because people are, are, are against anonymity anymore and saying vile things on the internet. It's harder to say something rude to someone when they're in the same room with them. Yes, seems like I think mostly because of Trump, there's been a renewed interest in, in Twitter and saying vile things on the internet. Do you, th- yes. do you think we're going to come back from that? I feel like something more horrible is going to have to happen to this country. To unite us, I feel like that's the only thing that's that's going to unite us, and I think that until that happens, it's just going to be, you know, rock throwing from one side to the other, and no one, people, not even evaluating their positions on an issue, just agreeing with their side, whatever their side decides is their side, then that's the side they'll be on. Remember after nine eleven when we weren't going to have jokes anymore? Comedy was dead. <laughs> irony was dead. Yeah, well, I think Letterman uh, brought us back to joking, and and then we had the Hugh Hefner roast uh, a week later, which I was a part of, which was 
an amazing event to be a part of right after 9-11. That's the famous Gilbert Gottfried. That's right. That's, that's what people remember about it. But what was much more significant when we were there was the fact that there was a group of people in a room laughing in yeah, New York. Yeah, everything that happened after 9-11 that was remotely normal, stuff you took for granted became a really big deal. So going to see a concert, going to see a comedy show. It was cathartic. It was... Who were you ro- you were roasting? Hefner. Hefner, yeah. I was the roast master. Adam Carolla and I were on the first American Airlines flight from L.A. to New York. I think that was their first flight when they started flying again. I was very nervous about getting on the plane. And I said to Adam, listen, we just... If we see any sign of any kind of trouble... We can't hesitate for even a moment. We have to pounce on uh, whoever, and even if we have to apologize later, we just have to act, and, you know, we just have to do this, okay? Because we're sitting up in first class, and he's like, all right. And, you know, he, had, he wasn't so nervous going in. And um, moments later, we were in our seats, and Adam was all keyed up, and he looked over at me, and I was asleep against the window of the plane before the flight even took off. But you're... Well, I don't know if your heart was in the right place. Your mouth was in the right place. <laughs> My mouth was in the right place, drooling on the wall. <laughs> remember the Oscars? I do remember them. You yes. were the host of the Oscars. I was the host, yes. That was the biggest event of the year. <laughs> that was, and now it's a, a footnote. Do people still ask you about that? Oh, yeah, sure. Is it, still, they, it, still, it still comes up. Yeah, because it's like one of the biggest screw-ups in history. Yeah, it does. It's, but it also seems, maybe it's the way I've consumed news, it just seems like that's so many news cycles ago. It does, yeah. But looking back on it and knowing that I would be a part of the, one of the biggest screw-ups in history, it's still shocking to me that I wasn't responsible for it. You did not get blamed. I didn't. Well, of course I didn't. There was the Price Waterhouse guy. He got blamed. Well, and well, he should have. And Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty should not have gotten blamed. But and Faye yes. Dunaway got some blame. Uh, a little bit, yeah. But none of them, the only person that deserved blame was the Price Waterhouse guy. You going to do this again next year? I am. Asked? Are, you, are you already committed to it? Yeah. Yeah, so you're locked in. And you did the Emmys as well? I did the Emmys before the Oscars. Uh, Emmys were on CBS this year. So, no. They, don't, they tend not to have a, a, yeah, an no. ABC guy on, uh, on stage. Yeah, ABC gets it once every four years. So, what, how much prep do you do for an Oscar show? A lot. Yeah. All of it. And they pay you nothing, right? Very little, or, yeah. Very, I mean, actually, very little, right? Yeah. It's like $15,000, yeah. Yeah. So even for a it regular person. It costs me money to host the Oscars between, you know, getting my kids' tuxedos and my daughter a dress and, you know, the limo for my parents. It definitely costs me money. And, and it's a full-time, basically a full-time job for some number of weeks leading up to it, right? It's a full-time, part-time job. Have you thought about how you'll do it differently next time around? I've started thinking about it a little, but it not, seems like it was a giant. Success. It's hard to really figure out what you're going to do until the nominees start to make themselves known. I'm trying to get you to tell me what you're going to do on the show Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Well, Letterman is coming on the show, which That's for me a big personally deal. is very big, and Howard Stern as well. So you had heard you said you had Stern last time I was here. Stern was, he was here great. last. Have you time. had Letterman on before? Letterman was on the show the first time we came to Brooklyn. Yeah, is he going to come with beard? I imagine that he will have a beard. You already have the beard. Normally yes. what happens is you quit your show and then you grow the beard out. Normally, yeah. So you're going to do what? You're going to shave your head? No, I'm going to keep the beard. What is that move? What is what is the I'm I'm no longer on TV, I'm growing a beard. Letterman did it, Stewart did it. Cuz shaving is terrible. I mean, you know, shaving every day and then putting makeup on, it's just so great to be able to 
grow your facial hair and only shave your neck. So I get that for like a week or two. But Letterman's gone like full... It's hard to explain. When you're on television all the time, there's so much done to your face that you just don't want anyone to touch it. You just don't want to touch it yourself. You want nobody touching your face. Uh, Letterman's doing Netflix. He's doing like a documentary series, I guess. I'm not quite sure what it is. I'm, I don't think anybody knows what it is. Do you think he'll, he'll have the itch to do a daily show, or do you think once you've gotten off that treadmill, you're done? I can't imagine. I'm surprised he's even doing this, but I, no, I, I can't imagine that he would ever want to do a daily show again. What do you do when you're done with this daily show? Like, this will run for X more number of years. Do you want to do this for 10 years? Do you want to do it for 20 years? Well, I don't know how long I'll I'll do it. I mean, I, you know, I've done it for 15 years. This is in September. We started September of um, 2003, so or no, 2002, rather. We premiered in January 2003. So I've been doing it for 15 years. And then afterward, when I'm done with this, I'll probably produce a handful of shows that interest me, maybe do a little something here or there, but I wouldn't definitely wouldn't consider doing a daily show. Would you want to continue to be on TV, or are you okay doing something that's only I'd on digital? I'd be okay. I don't, I don't need to be on television. I don't need to be on anything ever again. I really don't. I don't crave being the center of attention. That's a weird thing for the guy who hosts a late-night television show to say. I know it is, but it's true. I mean, it's you know, I'd be just as happy writing jokes for Jon Stewart and handing so, them to him. Yeah, so you finish your show, you ride off in the sunset, and then you just stop doing public appearances. You just produce stuff. You're cool with that. Yeah, I mean, I'll do st- stuff here or there if it seems like it's fun or interesting, I think. I mean, I don't really know. I, I know, also know myself is if I have an idea that I think is a great idea, I'll jump right into it without thinking about the consequences. All right. Before you retire, can we talk again? Of course. Deal. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate right. your time. Thanks. That was great. Uh, Thanks again to Jimmy for making time for doing this. I know he's got a bunch of these, so we're glad that we were able to get in here. Thanks to Sean Cherry, who came to work on a Sunday. Thanks to you guys. It's a fun show to make, and the reason it's fun is because you guys like listening to it. So thanks again. Our standard ask is tell someone about it, but you're probably doing that even as I'm speaking. So this has been a bonus episode, I think, uh, which means you're probably going to hear from another guest on Thursday. So come back then. You know what? Being near a live theater is pretty cool, which is why we are doing a live podcast October 24th. So depending on when you hear this, you may still have time to go get a ticket. Also, tickets might be sold out. I'm not sure. Go to recode.net. You can click around. You can see if tickets are available. We're interviewing Sam B. That'll be a bunch of fun, whether or not you are there. But it'd be better if you're there. See you then.